I called her on the phone that night. I just needed to talk to somebody. And she began to pray over me over the phone. She called me a beloved daughter of God and said many, many things. Welcome to the Breakthrough of Grace podcast, a place where we share the stories of ordinary lives transformed by God's extraordinary graces. We invite you to join us as our speakers talk about their journey towards living lives of rich Christian authenticity to encourage and inspire each one of us. We are thankful you're here and taking this time to spend with us. Welcome, friends. This episode features a talk by Kelly Lyston about the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the life of Christ in the example of the saints. Kelly's story is a beautiful one, and she gives a personal account of her devotion to St. Maria Goretti. As we will learn from Kelly, St. Maria Goretti died early in the 20th century. She was a beautiful young woman who died for both love of Christ and as a martyr of virtue. To this day, the relics of St. Maria Goretti continue to bring about miracles and graces to the church and throughout the world. With great courage, Kelly shares some of her faith story and of her personal and powerful encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. She is a living example of the power of conversion and how her relationship with Jesus, fortified by scripture, grew and gave her courage to seek healing and overcome pain. I love her story and the strength of which she tells it. It comes from her rock solid faith and how the sacramental life of the church has healed her, her marriage, her family, indeed those around her. Kelly's talk was recorded prior to COVID during a monthly prayer meeting held in Southern California. We hope this blesses you as much as it did us. We're so blessed in the church to have um, the saints as our models and as our guides to living um, pure lives, virtuous lives. Uh, it's easy to, um, of course, Jesus and Mary are, you know, are true models of, of, Christ, of Christian life, but they're without sin, and it's difficult um, you know, to live up to that. <laughs> so it's nice to have the saints uh, with us. And um, today I, I bring you uh, Maria Goretti in a first-class relic here. And um, it kind of runs along with my story. And so this morning I'm just going to share a little um, teaching with you about relics. Uh, about St. Maria Goretti, and then um, how my story kind of coincides and lines up with some of, um, it actually doesn't line up at all with Maria except in age, but um, <laughs> anyway, uh, just a very interesting miracle that, uh, that came to me, you know, a month ago when or a little over when she came to my house in the relic. And I, I wanna thank and I, I wanna recognize the Goretti group who um, is 
I think in this time pivotal for the youth and for adults who um, may have suffered um, in their past. And I just want to, she's going to hate it that I do this, but this is Constance. She is the mother of two young children. <laughs> and she's here, but she is the director of um, Gretty Group and um, puts on retreats throughout the diocese. Um, Mother-daughter, father-son retreats, which is where I met Maria. So today I have this first class relic of St. Maria, and um, I really wanted to share with you this relic and the power of God that works through relics um, of the saints. This happens to be a piece of a bone, and um, scripturally we can look back uh, and see the use of relics in scripture. Uh, the dead bones of Elisha in his grave, it is known that a dead man, you know, was thrown into the grave and came back to life after um, touching the bones of Elisha. That's an Old Testament story. We see um, in the New Testament, we see uh, the use of what we call second-class relics, uh, which is a article of clothing or something owned, something that was owned by the saint, maybe a book or a diary. Um, and we see this, uh, we see it in Jesus when he was walking down the road and the woman that was hemorrhaging grabbed onto his tassel of his cloak and was healed. Um, now that's Jesus's relic. I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty serious. That's the big thing. Okay, that's the big thing. But uh, we also see in Acts of the Apostles, handkerchiefs and aprons that were owned by Paul were applied to the sick and the people were healed. Uh, we see in Acts that the sick people lined the streets in the hopes that the shadow of Peter would fall on them and so they would be healed. So we see it's really not in the relic that itself that does the healing, but it's in the faith of the people. So the faith of those people that they would just see the shadow of Peter and that that would heal them, God would bless that. And um, I believe that miracles will be worked today through this relic, um, that God's love and mercy um, will touch you, your families, uh, your situations in life. Um, Maria is a pretty powerful saint. In fact, um, the, I don't know what he, the person in charge of all the relics, Father Martin, he has 160 relics that he presides over. And he says, by far the relic of Maria Goretti has brought along more miracles than any other relic that um, he's worked with. So let me tell you a little about um, Maria. Maria was born in 1890. She was born into poverty, uh, one of six children. Uh, she resided in the west side of Italy, about 40 miles south of Rome. Maria's father was a very hard worker. He worked out, um, just to put a roof over their heads, he worked 
in swamplands for someone that owned the land to try to bring some kind of harvest out of a swamp. And um, he, did, he did well, but by the time Maria was nine, her father died of malaria. Um, this death was very difficult on the family who lived in poverty. Uh, the mother actually had to go out to the crops. She had an older brother that also went out to the crops just to try to make thing ends meet. Um, this left Maria at nine years old in her home with five siblings that she cared for. She became the cook, the caretaker, the um, everything, a house cleaner. And they had a neighbor um, who also worked at the field. Um, and his son, Alessandro, <coughs> and she cooked and cleaned for them too. She mended all, um, the son's clothes. She cooked for them um, in order to bring in just a little more money. Now, um, this boy next door, he was a little older than Maria. Maria was nine at the time, uh, spanning the couple years before her death at 11. She, um, he must have been maybe 18. So at this age, he had um, pornographic pictures that he kept in his bedroom. And um, these pictures uh, eventually drove him to um, violence with uh, Maria. He, he became obsessed with her and made many advances toward her, which she warded off, but she never told her mother. She didn't want to worry her mother. So um, finally one day he was so overwrought with lust that he, um, he threatened Maria with her life. And Maria said, this is a mortal sin and I will not do this. I will not allow you, Alessandra, to enter into mortal sin and I would rather die than have that happen. And that's exactly what happened. Um, Alessandra stabbed Maria 14 times. Um, she was left, there, there's a couple different stories, uh, depending on what, which one you read of, of the story of Maria, but the one that I like is that she actually lived um, three days. And they, um, you know, she was taken to the hospital. The mother and Alessandra's father came home. They found her there. They took her to the doctor. He wrapped, you know, all the um, wounds up and they, you know, tried to revive her. And she would come in and out of consciousness during this time. And at one point, of course, there was a priest and he said, um, just as Jesus forgave, you know, um, all of us, do you forgive Alessandro? And she says, yes, I, I forgive Alessandro. I want him to be in heaven uh, with me one day. And, um, and then she, she passed on. Uh, so what happened after this is that Alessandro um, obviously was uh, convicted and, and to a 30-year 
prison sentence because he was a juvenile. And while he was in prison, he was very angry and, and he would ha not hear any, he wouldn't have any consoling. A priest tried to come to him and, and speak of forgiveness and the mercy of God and he wouldn't have any of it. And then one night, uh, the prison walls fell away and he had a vision of Maria and she came in a, dressed in white in a field of lilies. And um, for each uh, stab wound, she handed um, Alessandro a lily, uh, so 14. And each one that he took, it burned in his hands into dust. And um, he was, something happened inside his heart and he uh, called the priest that had come to see him and <coughs> called him and said, this is what happened and um, I don't know what to do. And, and the priest was like, this is God's mercy. This is, we've been telling you, Maria forgives you. You know, you have to um, live in love and mercy. And uh, he was changed and converted. So for the next 23 years or so, he was a model um, prisoner, uh, making a difference in all the lives around him. And after he was let free, he went to see Maria's mother, who also forgave him when he asked her and took him in as a son. And they often went to mass together. And they also um, were at the canonization of Maria in 1950 mother and, and the murderer. And actually, Alessandro is um, blessed. He has one um, miracle attributed to him at this point, uh, moving towards um, sainthood as well. So it just shows you the love and mercy. Any one of us could be, I mean, all of us are called to holiness, and each of us have a different path to take. Mine has taken a different path than Maria's. Um, but at the same token, the end result will hopefully be the same. Um, since I'm not there yet, I don't know. Uh, okay, so let me find out where I'm at. So last night, my um, always expect uh, obstacles to come when you're doing things. Uh, I was in urgent care last night with my daughter who had a mild concussion from a soccer. So I was supposed to finish this last night. <laughs> okay, so let me just share with you my story and then we'll go back to Maria at the end. Um, at four years old, I was hit by a car on Mother's Day. My mother saved my life with CPR. I spent six days in a coma, during which time I had six holes drilled in my head to check for hemorrhaging. I was paralyzed on the left side and I wasn't given much hope of recovery. I was confirmed at four years old and given my last rites, now called the anointing of the sick, as it was thought I would either die or be a vegetable. I made a full recovery. Some might 
say I still have a little <laughs> brain trauma, but you know, it was called a miracle. When I was six, uh, my sixth sibling was born, my brother. Uh, my mom was kind of consumed with the new baby, and of course, she was overwhelmed with the other four as well, and I kind of fell in between there. And um, I was alone a lot, so um, I, you know, kind of had to find my own way, and I ventured across the street and found, you know, an older girl who, you know, kind of matched up with me in age, and uh, I just started spending a lot of time over at this house um, across the street. At the age of eight, I had begun to be sexually molested at this house, and deep shame filled me. Because I knew Jesus, I was born into a Catholic home. And by 11, the same age that Maria was, I had also died inside. It was a slow death. I never told anyone of this, what happened to me. And it wasn't a one-time thing. It, it went on for some time. And it lay deep in my soul. And it became very dark. I did go to Catholic schools, and eventually I made other friends at school. But these friends weren't much better. In eighth grade, I began smoking pot. This sedated me from the horrible shame and loathing that I had for myself. And I began to be very promiscuous. By the time I was a junior in high school, I went to an all-girls Catholic high school. My parents were very good to, to me. My sister was a nun at this convent, actually, that I um, attended the high school there. And um, at this time when I was a junior, this knowledge kind of came to me through the cloud of drugs and whatever else that uh, I needed some discipline in my life and that things were really out of control and, and I just couldn't stop the spiral. Uh, so you see on the outside, everything looked normal. No one knew anything, but on the inside, I was just really a mess. So uh, at 16 years old, my parents' signature uh, helped me join the um, Navy. I joined uh, in the delayed entry program, so as a junior in high school, once the papers were signed, I knew that in a year I'd be going to um, boot camp right after uh, graduation from high school. And uh, at this time, I felt a lot of peace inside me. I still was living the way I was living, but I felt that peace because I knew that I was gonna be safe, that within this discipline, I would be kept safe. And uh, so yes, I went to boot camp and I was disciplined. 
and I did begin to feel a little more in control. And uh, I, you know, I graduated early, so I was 17 when I joined the Navy. Uh, I was living on my own after boot camp and A school. I work uh, was stationed at Camp Pendleton. I spent four and a half years there. Uh, but because I was not a Marine, I was able to live off base, and they, you know, paid that for me. So I was paying my own bills. I was becoming an adult, and uh, I was a hard worker. I liked rules, so I did what I was told because they'd keep me safe, and I was really well-liked by many. I did go to church on Sundays. I became active at the Mission San Luis Rey. I received awards for my work in the Navy and even received the high honor of Sailor of the Quarter at one point, having my picture on the wall of the main dental clinic. Um, things appeared outside to be coming together. Uh, I was respected by, you know, the officers and, and the enlisted as well. But uh, in my off time, I was looking for love. I was uh, partying and trying to find my happiness in men. And these men, you know, took and took more and more of me at my own offering. Um, finally, uh, I met my husband in a bar. He really saved me from myself. He was very disciplined, although he was not military. But he had his own business, and I, again, thought I felt safe with him. So we married in a church, big Catholic wedding. Everything was wonderful and uh, on the outside. It was hard. Marriage was hard. Two broken people, my husband from a broken family, and me. We had our first child, a daughter, and I became gripped with fear. I just wasn't gonna allow what happened to me to happen to her. And emotionally, I was really struggling. I was living in the world and I was finding no peace. My husband and I were struggling in the marriage as well and I started searching for God. I went to counselors and I went to church and I sought God in prayer and I was led to a mom's group at Resurrection that was led by a very wise woman. She shared her story of attempted suicides because of hopelessness and I, I couldn't help but connect with that. I wanted the same for myself. I didn't want to live anymore. I was so hopeless and lost. I went home and that night I laid on the floor curled in a ball. I was a victim. I was the victim you read about that the thief came and robbed. I was robbed and beaten and I lay half dead. But the Good Samaritan came to my aid. Jesus came to me through this woman. 
I called her on the phone that night. I just needed to talk to somebody. And she began to pray over me over the phone. She called me a beloved daughter of God and said many, many things. Through my tears, I couldn't even hear what she was saying, but I was just soaking it up. And all of a sudden, I felt this weight start to lift out of me. It was like these chains were like just coming off me. And what replaced it is hard to explain, but it was soft and fluffy. It was kind of like a cloud going in and filling all those places that that weight took part in my body. After this, I had so much joy inside of me. It was like I was floating around and I was so happy. And uh, the next four years, I suffered a deep seclusion. I mean, Jesus did come to me, but it wasn't like an instant healing. I still had all that loathing inside me. And um, I had two more daughters. And for four years, I, I really didn't leave the house at all. Um, I was led to a Bible study. So during these four years, I went to Bible study on Wednesdays, and I went to prayer meetings on Tuesday nights. I went to the grocery store to get us food. But um, for the most part, we stayed in the house, and I read the Bible for four years. <coughs> And I had fallen in love with Jesus. And my change, you know, was pretty drastic to my husband. It's kind of like the woman at the well. You know, she's there and, and Jesus, you know, gives her this uh, water to drink. And she's different and she has to go back to the same circumstances she was in and tell people what happened to her. But they're all the same, but she's different. And so it's like trying to get them to understand. <laughs> it's just not that easy. But uh, I was a Bible thumper. I took my Bible everywhere. And so eventually my friends accepted it. And, uh, you know, we'd go on camping trips and I'd have my Bible with me, but anyway. Um, my husband, he worked a lot. He was a bit of a workaholic, and uh, which was good because it allowed me to read the Bible a lot. <laughs> and um, anyway. Uh, at one point, things got really bad at home because there was a lot of yelling, um, a lot of misunderstanding, you know, because I, you know, I had my brokenness, he had his brokenness. I mean, this is how marriage is, right? You have, I mean, I don't know if everyone's like that, but, uh, you know, it was very volatile, and I wasn't used to that. I didn't grow up in, in a house like that. Mine was very quiet, and, and, uh, my parents, you know, would go into their room and have their discussion and then come out and everything was fine. So I never really heard yelling before. So 
it was really hard, really hard to take when someone's yelling all the time. You, you just don't know what to do. So uh, I left. I left my house. We separated. I went to my mom's with the kids. At the time, I home. I was homeschooling my oldest, who was in kindergarten, um, because I was too afraid to let her go to school and be with other children and out in the world. Well, I got home and my dad really saw that I was not well. I was sick and, you know, we sought counseling and um, eventually my husband and I, you know, joined back together. We, you know, started one of the stipulations, I said, you have to come to church with me on Sundays. You just have to. I need, I need that. And so that was the one thing. He, he really made that commitment, and we've been going, you know, to church ever since. Um, okay, looking at the time. Okay. Um, so through marriage... You know, it's a sacrament, and it's really, it's a healing for the two joined together. That, um, you know, hopefully you enter a marriage not as broken, but there's, we're all broken. So that marriage brings us, you know, to full healing, and God has that all worked out already and we just trusted and I didn't want to get a divorce and my husband <coughs> was committed as well and we just worked through it and worked through it and um, and we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary Whoa. so God can take two broken people and put them back together through the sacrament of marriage um, and things have been really good and I started a Bible study of my own four years ago because it changed my life. And I wanted, I wanted people to know Jesus and to have that healing, to know the healing power that is there and available for us. So, Uh, a few months ago, I went to the Gretti group retreat with my daughter, and um, I met Maria, and I made a third-class relic, which all of you are going to be able to do as well. Take at the end, we'll um, venerate Maria, but you can have a prayer card, and and once you touch the relic, it, <coughs> this becomes a third-class relic, and you can take it home with you. And the next day after the retreat, I really just held that card. And I, I said with such a pure heart, I said, please. It just opened up those wounds again because I'd never been so... In my marriage, I always blamed everything on my husband, right? Okay. Um, but it's really that first wound that you receive, that that I received, that took my life the way it went. And so 
that prayer to Maria, you know, it was just like this healing, this um, pure heart, uh, pure love just kind of entered into me and, and uh, I just became um, on fire for what God can do through the saints. And so I called Constance and I said, I want to put on a retreat, let's do this, you know, and we kept going different places and things didn't seem to be panning out. And um, I just said, well, well, I don't really know where this is going or how this is going to happen, but um, some, you know, some way we're going to get this message of Maria out because today there's so much pornography out there. And this is really, um, Maria, we need Maria. This is what Father Martin said in Italy. He said, USA needs Maria. We need to have a pilgrimage of Maria to the USA. So they brought her here at the beginning of the Year of Mercy, 2015. They brought her in her full um, reliquary. Uh, she's in a wax, she's a wax, um, figure with the bones inside. She's not a incorruptible, but they brought her to Chicago. It was a huge fanfare. They um, visited 25 dioceses and um, we're just growing from there. The Gretti group's been around for 12 years, but um, but this push by Father Martin, I believe, is, is really gonna, gonna help the Gretti group and get this word out. Um, See, this is where I don't have anything else written because I was at the... <laughs> okay, so I said this heartfelt prayer. Okay, so then Constance says, Kelly, why don't you host the relic in your house? <laughs> and I was like, wow. Now she's going to come to my house after all she's done already. And... For a month, this was in my front room, just like this. Now, you know, when she's not exposed, if you're not in front of her, then, you know, you put this over, over the relic, and then when you're ready to venerate. But I would spend two to three hours a day with Maria, just reading about her, listening, learning, um, God just really, really spoke to me, really, a lot. And I've been on a, a month-long tour with the Relic of Maria. I visited um, John Paul the Great. Uh, um, I can't even think where. St. Dismas Guild Maria went to. Alessandro, having, being um, converted in prison. What a great place to take Maria. Um, Bible study. I have a, a large Bible study at St. Timothy's. Um, a confirmation. Uh, St. Mary's School had a the Mass. Um, Father Scott um, did a Mass for all the kids. And uh, anyway, um, I just wanted to share this with you today. I want to share it with everybody. I want you to believe that um, Maria can work miracles. 
I'm going to just ask you to pass these around. You can um, just write a prayer request on um, that paper. These are the prayers. Uh, there is a Goretti Mass that's held at, um, at the Our Lady of the Rosary every second, I mean every first Friday. Um, and it's beautiful. They have adoration and confession, then they have the Mass, and then they have a speaker. And it's really amazing. The Goretti Mass, it begins, the adoration and confession begins at 5.30. The Mass is at 6.30, speaker's at 7.30. Um, these are the prayers that I've uh, taken up this month. Uh, Miss uh, um, St. <coughs> Maria Goretti is now at San Diego State with the leader of the focus team there. And so I actually had to borrow her back. <laughs> um, and we, we had a little slumber party. And, um, and uh, Constance is going to take her back from me today. But anyway, um, what we're going to do is you could come up. I'm, since you're ordained, um, I will, we just you know hold the relic and everyone can come up in a procession and uh, venerate the relic either by kissing it or touching it or whatever um, you feel moved to do. Uh, and then I will hand out a, a card as you come up and you can um, place it against the relic and then you can take home a third class relic. I just ask that you mark it on the card so that you remember that and it doesn't get tossed aside or trampled or thrown away or anything like that. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast. We're a small word of mouth movement can we ask you to share it with a friend? Please see our show notes and website for discussion questions and other resources. Until next time, may God bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.